Family, stand with me this morning and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. By the grace of God, we're going to be sharing this morning, um, if Christ tarries, on uh, part two in our series of depression and the believer. We spoke last week about the prayer life of those that battle with, now not are owned by, but battle with. There's a struggle there uh, in their weakness and limitation. We talked about their prayer life. And we also talked about there is a, a, a difference between having victory over something. It's not just exclusively a victory over something, but you can have victory in something in the process to God's perfect will. God, yes, wants us free, but he exercises our faith and produces maturation during the struggle. There's always a wilderness between the Egypt and Canaans of our life. And in, in, in process of this series, I want to talk to you today about our part in it. And if you'll give me just a moment um, to, to give this brief introduction, and then there's a a longer portion of scripture, but then you can sit down the rest of the time. Uh, for us, you know, there, depression is, depending on who you hear from, it, it's so varied. It's as different as there are people. It's as different as there are uh, uh, environments, experiences. There's clinical depression. There's seasonal depression. There's situational depression. There's the infirmity or weaknesses of people, and all those things mixed together. But what's often emphasized is just don't have it. Instead of talking about biblical examples of it being represented and the part you play in it. I did not choose to be 5'9". It just happened. I did choose part of being 235-ish. I did choose part of that. I didn't choose to struggle with discouragement, but there's a part I play in it, and that's what I want to speak to you about today, and we're going to look at the life of Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, and this is just following when Elisha had gathered the uh, 850 Baalite prophets together. He had called fire down out of heaven by prayer. God showed them who the God of Israel is. And here we are when uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he slain all the prophets by sword. Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, the dead men, by tomorrow morning at this time. And when he heard that, when he saw that, he was afraid and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. Now, I'm not making light of this or minimizing it. But it's encouraging to me that one of the greatest voices, characters, courageous captains of faith in the Old Testament struggled. 
I don't glory in his struggle, but it does something for me. It's supposed to let us know that, see, these things were written aforetime for our learning, that we're not the only one. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake that was cooked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he ate and drank, and the angel laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time. Say this with me, the second time. And touched him again and said, Arise and eat. Underline this in your Bible because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. He came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so that when Elijah heard the voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle and stood in the entrance of the cave. And the voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice the pattern. What, what are you, Elijah, doing? Mark it in your Bible. What are you doing here? And he said, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with a sword and I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, go return to the wilderness of Damascus and when you come into Haziel, when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and anoint Jehu uh, to be king over Israel and Elisha to be prophet in your room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth by the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And Elisha, I have 7,000 men in Israel that have not bowed their knee unto Baal. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, this is such an important subject in this last hour. And we know that we are in you and you are in us. And you're not depressed. And you're not bound. And you're not worried. Would you open our eyes to see this morning ourselves clearly and to see you even more clearly? That we might not spend our lives looking within, being disappointed, looking without, being confused, but that we could be looking upward. And being filled with faith. Lord, I thank you for the struggles of my life. I would never choose them. But it's been good for me that I was afflicted. Because I learned my limitation. And I learned that you were limitless. Blessed be your great name this morning. Anoint me, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit. That true work and true grace and true change and true fruitfulness can happen. For the glory of your son, I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning.
If you're taking notes this morning, I want to go ahead and just give you three headings that it will fall under. I want, you, I want to talk this morning about the load he was carrying, the mistake he was making, and the grace God was giving. The load he was carrying, the mistakes he was making, that was his part in it, and the grace God was giving. Being a Christian is a wonderful life, but being a Christian does not exempt me from the wonders of life. We experience the same difficulty, the same opposition, the same carnal nature, the same adversary, the same failures as anyone else. But the Christian life is more difficult than those that do not know Christ because it's narrow. And narrow pathways lead to specific destinations. That's why God makes sure to keep us harnessed in so that we don't wander off the path out of his will, but that we make it all the way home, that we make it design the city of God. This path of Elisha was difficult. He was called of God. He was consecrated. He was sanctified. He was a voice piece for God. But living for God in a culture where others do not is a wearying thing because it's relentless. You have to be on. And it's like leaving an appliance in that, that, that uses a lot of energy. It's difficult to be light in darkness. It's difficult to be salt in decay. The Bible says in Numbers about the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt on their way to Canaan. and You can picture us on our way to heaven. It says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, the narrowness of the way, the opposition of the way, the length of the way, the comrades that you have to travel with. Can somebody say amen? Along the way. The, the, all the things in life, the way is difficult. But it winnows out those that profess faith and those that possess faith. It reveals if your, your courage and your confidence is in you or in God. You'll learn through the struggles of life, whether it's opposition, physical pain, loss, lack, uh, limitations, like when you struggle with depression, you'll learn your smallness and God's greatness if you'll let it work in you. His path was difficult. In Job, it says, as a man is born under trouble, like the sparks that fly upward from a flame, which means trouble just works that way. It just comes. And for those of us that struggle with depression, one of the things that adds to it, the fuel that adds to it, is you have an unrealistic expectation. You, you look at people's lives. You see one picture on Facebook. And you go, they have a wonderful life. They're crazy. Those people in that picture are crazy. They picked the best picture. They held the camera at a certain angle. And you think they're all beautiful. And, and she weighs 260. But she has turned the camera so you can't see that. And he looks happy. But you got his good side. The other side, he's scowling. And, you know, we have these expectations that everyone's life is easier better, fuller, 
And the truth is their life has its share of troubles. My grandmother used to say, everybody got their own sack of rocks, baby. The load he was carrying is difficult. Yes, yours, yes, you have difficulty in your life, but it's common. Your temptations are common. You're not the first person that was abandoned. You're not the first person that's rejected. I'm not making fun of you. I'm minimizing the trauma and tragedy in your life. I'm trying to help you. Somebody was dealt the cards you were dealt and built a beautiful life out of it. We need to hear that part too. What we don't need to do is come sit with you and go, oh, baby, 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 baby. There's a time for that, but that alone doesn't help me. Remind me who I am. Remind me who God is. Remind me about the promises that are yes and amen. Remind me about the God that brings me out of and into. Remind me the God that invites me to pray and promises to answer. Remind me of the victories of my past. Yes, life's difficult, but God is greater than the difficulty. I love what Jesus, I love how honest the Bible is. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Tribulation, which reminds me of the great tribulation. He said the world is going to come after you. It's going to beat you. It's going to be relentless. It's going to be cruel. It's going to be strategic. It's going to be systematic. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Yeah, life's difficult, but God's spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. I am buoyant, like trying to push a volleyball down in, in a pool. And if 10 people got around and pushed it down and held it down, the moment they let go, that volleyball is going to go and shoot up. And we have within this earthen vessel a treasure, a, a weight of glory, a power. I cannot go under until he decides that I go under. And I won't stay under because I'm connected to him and you can't drown him. That may sound simple to you, but I have a simple theology. It helps me. Elijah was blindsided. It said in verse 1-3 that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd slain the prophets by the sword. And when the fire fell, he commanded that all the false prophets be killed and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Doesn't the devil always send you a message about what he's going to do next? It's all in here. These things were written for your learning. He said, go tell Elijah by this time tomorrow morning he's going to be dead. See, Elijah thought when fire fell from heaven, if he was anything like us, when fire fell from heaven, that this was going to be the catalyst to revival in Israel. They're going to stop worshiping false gods. They're going to know that God... The God of Israel is the God of all. And there's going to, Jezebel and Ahab, all their prophets have been killed. They're going to run and hide. And that's not how demon powers work. You can mow them down to the ground and they'll bow up in your face and go, by this time tomorrow, what happened to them is going to happen to you. Many times we get depressed when we get blindsided with something we don't see coming. But the believer learns, they learn, that even though they were blindsided, God was not. And you, you, you pivot from that and you say, well, I didn't see that coming. But thou, O Lord, knowest all things. 
You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You know my thoughts are far off before I think them. Before I was born, you knew I would be standing on this stage wearing this suit. You knew, O oh Lord. The load he was carrying, not only was he blindsided, he was disappointed. If you just follow through and see how close this is to some of the thoughts and feelings and, and, and bondages that we develop in our own life. He was disappointed. Is this all my life has come to? I've worked for the Lord. I've, I've prophesied. I've, I've been faithful. And I, fire came down out of heaven and burnt the sacrifice in front of the nation. And now the, the queen is saying, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. He's like, you just, here's what we say. You just think it should have changed by now. You just think after all of this, I thought so-and-so would have happened. Disappointment, discouraged, disillusioned, and then we feel defeated. He was living under the pressure of a legitimate impending threat. Now let me touch on this just a minute. Jezebel, this was not just some false thing. She killed many prophets of God. And sometimes we get news from outside of our walk with Jesus. Be careful of the news that comes to you outside of your walk with Jesus. You're going to die. Your baby's never coming home. You're going to get the cancer your daddy had. Watch. It's always going to be this way. It's always going to be this way. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. Why didn't he just reason? If the God that delivered 850 Balite prophets into his hand did that yesterday, why would he be afraid of today? Jezebel couldn't kill him yesterday. He was surrounded by 850 men with small quasi-swords that were cutting themselves and bleeding, calling on Baal to send water down. So 850 men with swords and he was in no danger. He wasn't afraid of nobody. Isn't it funny how one day you can be fine and the next day act a fool? One day be sane, the next day be insane. One day be full of faith and the next day have no faith. He was safe in front of 850 men with swords. Who was she going to send to kill him? Somebody with a? One person. So now at this threat, it's over. This is how our mind plays tricks on us. The devil uses facts. And what Jason was talking about. But, but our defense is the truth. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to see to it that you're dead. And when you get the negative report, even if it's factual, she's going to muster up somebody. She knows some bad guys downtown, and she's going to send them after Elijah. That's the facts. See, God doesn't want you lying. I know Christians that lie. They ignore the difficulties in their life, and they, it's not there. Don't confess it. Don't confess it. It is cold outside. Whether you confess it or not, it's cold outside. Right? Okay. So that, that, that's not the dynamic you're creating. And so when we, when we fight with the enemy, our, our confession 
uh, about our, our circumstances and situations aren't the things that hinder us or help us. It's adding the truth to the fact. The fact is, bad news came, and I don't know who this is for, life-threatening news came, which creates depression. You're losing your home. You're losing your marriage. You're losing your health. You're losing your retirement. You're losing these things. And the threat comes from without. Ignoring the facts does not help you. But rehearsing the truth frees you. Well, if this happens, the Lord is still with me. And the Lord is still for me. And he can speak to things that are not as though they are. God has the heart of the king in his hand and he turns it wherever he wants to. God sends manna from heaven, cloud by day, fire by night. And so when I add the truth to it, depression does not have the ability to put its talons in. See, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. When these feelings come in, well, they're legitimate, but they're not the truth. They're the facts. The truth is I have a variable called God's spirit. I have a variable called God's word that transcends my facts. Let me just give you one to prove it to you. The law of gravity. Fact. Well, I don't believe in it. That's not my truth. Jump off the building. See how that works for you. I don't believe in gravity. Do you believe in gravity? No. Jump off the building and see how that works for you. Those are the facts. But the truth of the rapture of the church when Christ comes is going to override the facts of gravity. Everyone else is going to stay here. All the cows ain't going to float. The dogs aren't going to float. Cars aren't going to float. But we which are in him and those which have died before us are going to rise from the ground. How's that, how can that happen? Because he decrees it. Man, Here's an anchor point for you. If you saw the truth as clearly as you see the facts, you'd be in business. Our problem is we can more clearly articulate where we are than who we are. How you doing? Well, oh Lord, here we go. Half hour, half hour, never draw a breath and never say the same things twice. And then they say, well, but the Lord's able. The Lord gets one phrase, and where we are gets chapters. I'm getting close to our role in it, if you can't tell. In my opinion, it was not the threat of Jezebel that frightened him, but it was the results of cumulative stress. Living at a brook on the run from King Ahab, who was trying to kill him. Living in the home of a widow where meal by meal was just provided, having barely enough, no recognition, no notoriety. And some of you think that it's the event, the situational depression, you think it's the event that caused the depression and all it is is the final straw or the trigger. Now that's not always the case, but sometimes that's it. Elisha wasn't scared of Jezebel. He just ran out of himself. And it's in those moments, do you see, that God teaches you that you're a limited resource. But God is not. And when you stop relying on your strength and your will, 
Could it be that what you call the horrors uh, of depression, could it be the very tool God is using to try to wean you off of independence? This is either good or bad because y'all are real quiet. I'm thinking while I'm preaching, like this, I'm buying my own CD. This is good stuff and y'all just looking at me. Let's talk about number two, the mistakes he was making. And those of us that struggle with depression now, I'm not talking to the people that live in depression and they just, okay, this is who I am and this is what I do. I can't help you. If you ain't fighting, like I, I, I can't do it for you. You've got to fight with the sword of the spirit and faith in yourself, faith, your own faith and faith in God and faith in the word of God. But let's look at the mistakes where he participated with the devil, actually helping the devil build the house of depression in his own life. He had given in to fear. The Bible says that fear has torment. It can paralyze you. It can control you. It can consume you and even disqualify you in unbelief. You're, when you're afraid, when you live afraid of something coming, see the threat of Jezebel, something coming. In, in depression from what has happened, something coming. Fear, it's going to do it again. It's going to do it again. Fear is a sin. Now, it's a natural reaction, but to allow it to stay is a sin for the believer. Why so? Because it's unbelief. David said, I will fear no evil. Why? Finish it. It is as simple as that. I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. If God is with you, let me go a step further. If God is for you, let me go a step forward. If God is in you, what would you ever be afraid of? What? If I die, he can bring me back. The answer is unbelief. Well, I just can't help it. My mama was fearful and my grandmother was fearful and I, I guess I just got their genes I'm, you know, I'm fearful too. Well, weren't you born again? If you got their stuff in your first birth, didn't you get God's stuff in your second birth? So if that fear remains, the reality of what was passed on from them, wasn't there a courage and confidence given to you by God and God's spirit? When we become afraid, we forget who God is, who we are, and we forget our past with him. You cannot be afraid while you remember what God has done for you in the past. What if I could roll through your Rolodex of how he came through? Or when he didn't seemingly come through, but he sustained you after the disappointment. And he preserved your soul. He answered your prayer. He opened your womb. He healed your body. Yeah, to, 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 to give in to fear, you've got to be, you have to have such a small life that the only voice you can hear is the devil in your own. Fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Long as I can hear the shepherd's pole in front of me tapping stones. If I know you're there, Lord, I'm okay. Well, they're coming to kill you. Well, they just do what they can do. And if it's time to go, if it's time to go, there's nothing you can do to keep me here. 
And if it's not time to go, there's nothing you can do to take me out. So I'm just going to rest in him. He had given in to running. This is one of the mistakes, how he helped in the trouble. It said, Elijah was afraid and fled. It begs the question, what are you running from today? Can I tell you something? Can you, will you listen to old Pastor John today? This, I'm just, I'm just going to move. Macon's crazy. Macon, I just, I got to get out of Macon. It's Macon. It's Macon. Well, Macon has severe issues. But might I suggest to you that when you get to where you're going, many of the issues you thought were Macon, were you in Macon? Always run. I got to run. I got I to gotta leave this person. I got to leave this. Now, I, I don't mean that we don't use common sense. I'm amazed at some of the people that are so heavenly minded, they're not earthly good. You know, they go to shooting in Kroger near the produce. Say, bam, 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 bam. You drop to your knees. Lord, if it be thy will for me to escape. You ain't got to pray. Move. Move. Stop. What you praying about? Lord, my husband's hitting me with a pan, a frying pan. Should I stay? Baby, shoot him and then move. You know, I pray about that. <laughs> Tell God he dies of natural causes, you know. You do what you got to do. But my point is, yeah, preacher, what is your point? That Those of us that struggle with, I use the word struggle with, hopefully, so you'll stop using it. That means I'm still doing it. Instead of saying struggling with, which is a defeated thing, how about being honest and say, yeah, I battle with depression, but I ain't going to lose. And God's greater. It finds me, but it does not own me. It does not consume me, and I am not its slave. Don't run. Running is a form of idolatry, which means since God can't protect me, since God can't keep me, I must take it into my own hands to preserve myself. Sounds pitiful, but it's just not true. Taking self-preservation into your own hands is a sign of idolatry. Now, we called to work? Yes. But my preservation is not dependent upon my work. Are we called to be faithful stewards with our life and work hard? Absolutely. But he feeds me. He clothes me. Well, I could have swore, Pastor Wood, that I went to Dillard's and bought my clothes. Yeah, but who gave you the capacity to got the education you got? They gave you the opportunity to work where you're working. The Christian sees their life as being, it originates with God, it continues by God, and it culminates in God. What, what am I running from? I don't have to preserve myself. That's his responsibility you know it's one of the truest signs of a secure balanced child they don't worry about anything if mama's breathing or if daddy's breathing I'm good and unless you become like children some of you can't even see the kingdom of God I ain't got to run nowhere or run from anyone running is a precursor or a cousin to self-medication what are you saying? I'm saying, watch the pattern of those who run. They'll also self-medicate because if God can't keep them, 
God can't comfort them. That's good. If he can't keep me, I run. If he can't comfort me, I'll self-medicate. Do you remember that the Holy Spirit is called the comforter? Now, today is not going to be as dramatic as last week or as emotional. I'm just giving you facts and information. What we're doing is we're standing on the scale today and just telling the truth. Ain't no mirrors here like at the nice uh, clothing stores that make you look thinner than you are. This is the part you're playing. When we run, when we live in fear, this reveals an ignorance, an arrogance, because deep down we know that we are running from what remains. We're running from that which we deem the final authority. If Jezebel has the final say, then I've got to run from her. I've got to flee from this. Running in life, being a runner, punctures our soul, allow us our courage, our confidence, our faith, and strength to dissipate. You can't be someone who stands if you're always running. Don't give Jezebel the satisfaction. Be the person that when she sends the letter uh, and you read it in front of the, the messenger and says, by this time tomorrow, your fate will be like those of, think of the irony here, of the 850 of my prophets that you killed. <laughs> Don't give her the confidence when the man goes back and said, his knees began to knock and he ran. I'm going to take your family out. I'm going to take your children out. I got you. You read the letter and you You do what you're going to do. God will do what he's going to do. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. Talked about him taking upon himself the burden of his own self-preservation. My salvation, my transformation, my guidance, my strength, my protection and my preservation are God's responsibility. It's he that chose me. I didn't choose him. It's he that purchased me. I didn't purchase him. It's he that cut covenant with me. I didn't cut covenant with him. I am his. He is the king and I live in his kingdom. He is my father and I live in his house. He is my God yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing can separate me from his love. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Release yourself from the smothering weight of self-preservation. Do a nesty plunge. Some of y'all are too old. You don't know what a nesty plunge is. It's that cat in the 80s where he just fell in the swimming pool full of nesty. Just lean so far into God that you stick out the other end. Yeah. If, I, if he can't keep me, I'm not going to be kept. What happens to that is the carnal Christian looks on and goes, they're just so weird. They're so spiritual. They're so, but you balance out and you're at peace. He gives his beloved Peace and sleep. Letter D, a mistake he was making. He separated himself from those who loved him. It said he left his servant there in verse 3. 
Here's how you make your depression worse. Your motive can be correct and you still be wrong. I just don't want to burden my family and my friends with this. That, that's a true motive. Sounds wonderful, but it's harmful. Or we can say that and not mean it. We just want to be dramatic. Why not live before them in weakness and not do it alone? Why not do what I do? And I tell my wife and my children, I bring my children in, I say, I want you to know something. The way daddy's acting and I'm sad and stuff. I want you to know you ain't done nothing. You ain't done nothing. And your mom ain't done nothing. And it ain't always going to be like this. I just want you to know that I love you. And daddy ain't going to just roll over and wallow in this. And I just want you to know I'm sorry, but I ain't sad with you. Because of our pride, we won't humble ourselves and interact in a way that lets them know, I need you. And I'm not going to hide from you. When he left his servant there, you understand there's no mention of his mother. There's no mention of his father. There's no mention of siblings or friends. That was his person. Well, I'm really, really struggling. And then they just fall off the face of the earth. They won't answer their phones. You know, you want to lose me as a friend? Screen me. I'm serious. If our relationship, if I call you, no, Lord, I'm not going to talk to you. I don't feel like that. Well, don't talk to me then. This is how caring works. Stop leaving your servant somewhere. Stop leaving your mom, your friend, your prayer partner so that you can do it alone. How's that working for you? If we just tell the truth. And then we come back so where they didn't see the worst of us. And we're so proud that they didn't see as bad as it got. No, they just didn't hear from you for six weeks. So they don't know how bad it was. We're all ignorant. We don't know. Y'all are quiet, quiet. Thank you very much. Stop living alone. Let people in. Let them walk with you. Not everybody. Don't let fools in, you know. His running ended in the wilderness under a juniper tree. Said he went a day's journey into the wilderness. This is just a quick side note. Running always carries you further into dry places, dead places. And then finally, I want to talk to you about his unharnessed thought life. Runaway feelings and unwise words. You might want to write this down. An unharnessed thought life. Runaway feelings and unwise words. This is the mistakes that Elisha made in his depression. He spoke of giving up. Look at verse 4. It is enough. That's it. How many times those of us that fight with depression... That's it. That's it. That's it. Spoke of giving up. Spoke of dying. Verse 4b. Keep your Bible open. Take away my life. He spoke in comparisons. I'm not better than my father's. He spoke in exaggeration. This is the one I've been waiting all day to tell you. Depressed people 
are wonderful storytellers. Much of what they tell you is true. So hear me, I'm not mocking them. Much of what they tell you is true. But there's always a tell. How many card players we had before Jesus got a hold of you? It ain't gambling if you win, baby. It ain't gambling if you win. It's not just the cards you have. You look for the tail. You look for the guy that folds, 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 and then he gets a hand and he goes, <laughs> you just fold then. It don't matter what you got. You can have three of a kind. You just fold. You just know, you know, that he's got something. They're like, why are you folding? Well, just, just damn, just damn. See, people that don't play cards think you're playing cards. No, you're playing people. You're, you're reading people, but that's for another day. has not much to do with Jesus. <laughs> but the tale, the tale of a person that is helping, listen, that is assisting in their own depression. I'm going to leave it hanging. The tale is exaggeration. What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been zealous for the Lord. True. I've been fighting the king and the godlessness in Israel. Yes. I've been prophet for you. I, I spoke and there was a drought. Yes. And then I spoke again. You know, yes, yes, yes. And I'm the only one left that hasn't bowed a knee to Baal. Just thought I'd tell you that. Later on, God says, oh, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee. It's just tucked away at the end of the chapter. It's like it almost doesn't fit. And what's he saying? He goes, stop it. It is bad, but it's not as bad as you say. That burst the bubble of a great majority of our problem. I remember when the Lord showed me at the, the loss of my marriage. I, 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 it was so hard. I said, Lord, what did I ever do to deserve this? What did I ever do to deserve this? What? And, you know, you try, try to console a parent at a, at a graveside that's buried their child. I ain't got no, I don't have nothing for you. That pain is unspeakable. True. What did you ever do to deserve the tragedy? Yes, I got it. I don't have, I can't help you. I'm sorry. But what did you ever do to deserve the joy? What did you do to ever have that life? To have that love? What did you ever do to deserve that health? See, the depressed person always exaggerates. And they forget the goodness of God and the goodness in their life. How about this? Israel in a time of apostasy. And I, along with a lot of other people, are standing. And we're trying to do our best but no, depression has to be the only one. Depression has to be the worst one. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. We like to be isolated. Can't nobody come in. Pull the blinds. Turn on the country music. Bring the dog in so I can cry. Break out the old pictures and sit them in the floor. Do all of this and just wallow because no one else understands. And see, before you get mad at me, I am you. Stop it. Life is hard. Don't help it knock you down. Stop it. Add some sanity to this. Add faith to the mix.
Watch your words. The Bible says, take every thought into captivity of God, casting down vain imaginations and every thought that vaunts itself against the knowledge of God. If it contradicts God or His Word, quit it. Quit it. I can't do it for you. God won't do it for you. You have to do it. Ain't no way I'm the only one. Ain't no way mine is worse. It's bad enough. Yes, it's bad. But your exaggeration is smothering you. Son hadn't come out in two years. Well, no, it's been out a while. Rains every day in Macon. Every day. It ain't rained since the Korean War. I don't know what. Y'all, my pond is about 18 inches deep. I see the tops of the fish swimming through it all. I see their little spines. Birds are like, golden corral. <laughs> you know. If our musician would come, please. He had forgotten who God was. Can, can you just really get in the motion of this with me? I've been dealing with you. Uh, we've been talking intellectually and uh, uh, factually. But I want to get in the motion of this for you. So imagine God speaking to him and saying, the voice of God now. I want you to identify. I want you to become him. Elijah, man, when he hears his name, Elijah, man of God, bold prophet, man of strength, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, you mighty man of God, Elijah, what was God saying? He was saying, remember who you are. Remember what God's done in you and for you and how he's built a name in the earth. Papa, in your home, remember who you are. Mama, he said, Elijah, what? What are you doing? He did not ask him what Jezebel was doing. Oh, that is so good. Elijah, what are you doing? Well, Lord, I'm feeling like, stop it. I'm not asking you about your feelings. I'm asking you about your doings. The truth is, and you may misjudge us, those of you that don't, have never been depressed. Or just snap out of it. Just pull yourself out by your bootstrap. Do you think that I enjoy being here even a minute that's, don't even discuss with people like that. Just, they have no clue. Just leave them be. But there is a part of it. They don't understand, but you should. I cannot control my feelings, but I can change my doings. You see? These are keys found in the Word of God. So, number three, very quickly, the grace God was giving. There's a grace for you. In your sickness, there's a grace for you in your lack. Is this true? Amen. There's a grace for you in your loneliness, right? Okay. There's a grace for you in your failures. There's a grace for you in depression. And yes, God can just set you free and give you victory over it. Yes, He can. And you can have victory in it. 
Victory in it means my eyes are upon him, my feet are in a straight path, and I am in motion. What are you doing? I'm walking towards Jezebel, not away from her. Don't tell me in grammar school that you're going to whip my butt after school. Let's do it now. I ain't, I ain't waiting until after school. Let's, I, that's how I'm wired. Hey, Pastor John, I want to talk to you about something. Are you okay? I, I'll talk to you Thursday. No, you ain't. Because that's hell from Sunday to Thursday. I'm, no, no, we're doing it now. So what are you doing? I'm facing Jezebel. I'm facing the threat. I'm facing it because, God, if I can't do this with you, I ain't going to be able to do it at all anyway. So let's go ahead. We're not fighting after school. We're going to do it now. And God came when Elijah stopped running. He fell under a juniper tree. He's singing blues to himself. And God met him. One of my best friends was a lifeguard growing up. And he said, you have to wait till they're exhausted or you have to knock them out to help them. And some of you have no idea, but God, he just won't help me. He just won't help me. He's waiting for you to stop flopping. Stop. God's grace came when he stopped running. It came in the form of a quickening. I can't explain this to you, but the angel just showed up and touched him. And I'm just pushing and pushing through. I'm apologizing to Kelly. I'm apologizing to my babies I'm praying I'm singing and then oh what I don't want to speak too soon but I'm good you want to go on a date night what happened to you Elrod you know what, what I don't know I'm good great day I'm feeling better he quickens us and he touches us and he came in the form of nourishment and rest Look at what the angel told him. The angel touched him, quickened him, and said, Arise and eat. Get up and lay down. Get up and lay down. Watch. Do the dailies. Do the dailies. Get up, arise, and eat. Go to bed. Arise, eat, go to bed. Get back in the rhythm of your life. Do the things that you're called to do, and God's going to give you the strength to carry on. Arise and eat. And he laid him back down. Touched him again. Is there anybody else in this room thankful for the second touch? He touched him again. And he goes, oh, kind of rubbed his eyes. And he goes, it's an angel. See, we just read the Bible like the newspaper. Like, There's an angel. Goes, Arise and eat. Well, that's what you told me last time. Yeah, same rules. Get up and eat. And notice the empathy of God. This journey is too great for you. This journey is too great for you. There's several of the people in my life that I love with all my heart. I thought of their history and their present and what's pressing on them. And the journey is too great for them. And I hear the Lord speaking this morning and I, I humbly offer this. If this is his voice. That the journey is too great for you. But it's not too great for us. You need to put that on your refrigerator. The journey is too great for me. But it's not too great for us. Will y'all give me just two minutes to tell you a little story? I've been... <laughs> through the life of my babies. Kelly is so wonderful in this. And we're both 
teaching and training them collectively and individually. But when I get them by themselves, I talk about God and the things of God. And I talk to them about, you know, just being a preacher's kid. That, that, that's a wonderful thing, but that doesn't help you with your soul. I said, you know, going to Burger King don't make you a whopper. And going to church don't make you a Christian. Just going to church with daddy. And I, I've been sharing the gospel with my son, Elisha. And I make him read to me Romans 310, 323, 5-8, 6-23, 10-9, about how the wages of sin is death. And I said, Elijah, Elijah, what Elijah, what can a dead man do? Nothing. So if we're dead in our sins, how can we how can we come back? He has to raise us. I said, Yeah. So we've been talking and talking. And I, I, I don't ever push it because that's what us preachers sometimes can do. And the other night he talked to me about it and I could I just knew you know how God graces you and you just know I said are you ready to call out to the Lord to save you Elisha daddy can't save you I can't help you he said, yes sir and that little boy bowed his head and called on the name of the Lord and asked him to save him of his sins and when he got done praying I said Elisha, is there anything we can add to what Jesus did for us? He goes, no, sir. If we do, we mess it up. I said, that's right, that's right. Wait a minute. So uh, we just left it at that. I told Kelly, nobody else. Then a couple days later, out of the blue, he goes, Daddy, I need to be baptized. Now watch this. This for you papas, you know this is rip your heart out. I discerned in the moment that my little boy is already learning how to be led by the Spirit. He said, but I don't want to do it in church. I feel like I'm supposed to do it at home. I said, okay. So we weighed out the pool and the hot tub. And we'd had three cold nights and the hot tub won out. So, <laughs> so we sat at the table. We talked about faith and salvation and I told the little girls about Lisha's decision and I told the men this Wednesday I'm going to try to do the facial expression he did and I said and Elisha has been born again and he goes like that so we get in this pool and you know in my mind when it comes time I'm going to say all these profound things and I didn't I'm like you dads in here we're just 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 a mess, you know. I just I baptize you, you're the greatest boy there, you know, just <laughs> baptize you. And I told him because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I brought him up out of the water. And I, this isn't the father part. His face just glowed like glory. And I felt the Lord prompt me today with the last part of this story. And I'll be done in 60 seconds. When Elijah made it through, touched, the angel touched him, arise and eat, lay back down, touched him, arise and eat. Just keep fighting it, Elijah, keep fighting it. Come on, arise and eat, arise and eat. And when you get there, anoint Elisha. And it jumped off the page at me. Hey, John, what if this isn't about you at all? What if this is about the boy to follow you? I got to make it through rejection. I've got to make it through depression. I've got to make it through my weaknesses and my sins and my failures because I've got to anoint a little boy. 
that follows me. What if your life isn't about you at all, but the babies that follow you and the people that are influenced by you? Stand with me. Would you bow your heads with me? Just a chorus of a song. I won't, John's going to play it for me. Just, just bow your heads. Those of you that are fighting depression, it's just time to stop running and let's just face it head on and black its eye. Just, just keep struggling because God wants to, you to recommit. and He's got other work for you to do. Just like Elijah said, Elijah, I'm, Elijah, I'm not done with you. We, we got to get other people helped. John, would you play that for me? Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. My heart's torn in pieces. It's my offering. Lay me at the throne. Leave me there alone. To gaze upon your glory and sing to you this song. Please take me to
Church family, would you look this way right before we close? In the same way, you see someone that's been in the military. and Thank you for all of our veterans in your service. And they lost a leg or they lost an arm. And uh, you just know there's a history there that you don't know a lot about. And you see them in church and standing on the one leg or arm. Let me tell you the mark of the depressed person. This is like very vulnerable. You can see it in her eyes. And we know you can see it. It's just like you can't hide a leg missing, you know? You can see it in her eyes. But the other eye shines. And we just keep walking. We're not a martyr. Everybody's got their own sack of rocks. It's, I may have a sad eye, but I'm, I'm not running from. I'm running to. And that gives God great glory. Amen. Amen. I want to make just a quick announcement. And this is just something I think would be right. One of my life friends, Michael and Erica, Erica just completed her master's degree so that she could, licensed by being licensed, continue to minister people in the area of counseling. And she deals with um, she just wants her life to have even a greater yield because you can talk to anyone but this this degree which they don't give away by the way it's not free you have to do a lot of school but it will open a lot of other doors and Erica would you just pray over us today uh, and those that struggle with this and uh, just finish our service for us do you want to do it down there if you'll pray with me Father, I just come humbly before you. You are a sovereign God. And I can't begin to count how many days of my life I've gotten through because I knew nothing has taken you by surprise in my world. Not only has it not taken you surprise, but you have gone before. You have prepared the days ahead. You have made plans where others have come and tried to divide and destroy. And so, Father, I thank you that we can trust you, that we can wait on you, that we can lean into you. Father, you did not promise that we would get through this life in an easy fashion, but you promised we would know what it is to be held by you. And so, Father, those here in this room today, that are struggling through these moments. They're fighting. They're going to bed. They're waking up. They're trying to eat. Hug them tight. Let them know you will never let them go, that you will pursue them. And so, Father, even Elijah, when he ran away, when he didn't do it all right, Father, you still found him. You still provided the food. You gave an angel to touch him, and he knew what it was to be held. And so, Father, I thank you for those moments. I ask that you would take us into this week, that you would show us how to pass your love, your truth, your provision, your comfort to others. Father, use us. It's worth it if in the end there's one or two people who are affected and brought to you. Give us eyes of eternity. 
and help us to walk in your ways each day. In your precious name do we pray. Amen.